Good morning. We welcome you into this Advent journey as we prepare for the coming of the Christ child. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And this is the season of hope and light. We invite you to join us. Come on in. Our first lesson is from the book of Isaiah 41 through 11. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out! And I say, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. As it is written by the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance, forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people from Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. So let me ask a question. How many of you either currently serving in the military or those who have served prior went through basic training? You just raise your hand. Any branch? Bunch of you, okay. <clears throat> that drill sergeant is referred to differently in different branches of service. Drill instructor, drill sergeant, there's some different terminology for different branches. That pointed, in-your-face, coming at you, tearing you down to build you up, attitude, spirit. I did not serve. Thank you for your service. But my guess was, that's not somebody you snuggled up to that told you a bedtime story every night of basic training. I was reminded when watching the 1986 movie Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood uh, the other day. That is his role as a Marine drill sergeant, and he had had surgery in real life on his throat right around that time, so his voice is still even lower and more gravelly than it normally would be. So he's the rugged dinosaur as the movie sets the scene, served in several wars. He's an alcoholic, gets kicked in and out of jail because of his behavior, but he is Marine through and through. Drill Sergeant, Gunnery Sergeant Highway was his name in the movie. So he's reporting to his new post and he meets his new re recon unit. Of course, they are the worst of the worst. They are those who will not follow military guidelines. They have been allowed to be deviants uh, and pretty much police themselves because nobody would deal with them. So they send Clint Eastwood to them. So they have some initial meetings, and the first day they fall in. They're standing there. Clint Eastwood says, the Marines are looking for a few good men. You ain't it. We will blaze a trail into battle for others to follow. Surrender is not in our creed. I can only do it with my teeth clenched. I'm sorry. Let's hear you say that. And then they all say, surrender is not in our cream. Louder or the next time you leave this base for R&R, &R, you'll be collecting your pension. They all say it louder. Surrender is not in our creed. Now you'll all wear the same T-shirts or none at all. Strip them off. So they stare at me. Take them off. So they take off their shirt. Okay, so you fast forward to the next day. They all fall out and they're wearing the same shirts. And so they're excited he says, all right, strip off those T-shirts. said, but Gunny, we're all the same. He says, the same as me? He says, how are we supposed to know what T-shirt you'll be wearing? You improvise, you overcome, you adapt. So the next day, they all fall out. They're all wearing the same T-shirt he was wearing yesterday, but of course now he's wearing a different T-shirt. So throughout the movie, it's, this kid, they all come out and they just, they don't even put it on anymore because they know they can't figure it out. Eventually, they figure out the process by which he is selecting his shirt. Someone is putting it out for him and they kind of stumble in to understanding that 
And so one morning, kind of in the middle of the movie, they all come out, they're all smiling. They have the exact same T-shirt on that he has. He just stands there, kind of twitches like Clint Eastwood does. He says, all right, fall in. And they begin their day. John the Baptist is very much in that drill sergeant vein. Very much a character that I don't think we would necessarily want to hang out with. He is in your face. He is not going to tolerate any excuses. Even if you didn't serve in the military, we've all had some teachers and or professors like that. They wear their power like a drill sergeant in their classroom. No nonsense, no excuses. They're there in the military to tear you down, to build you up. John is very much in that same vein. We know a little bit about John the Baptist, not a whole lot. We know that all four gospels talk about John the Baptist, so that's significant. In Mark's account today, the first gospel to be written Mark itself does not have a birth narrative. There's no baby Jesus being born in Mark, neither John. It's just Luke and Matthew that we have our two birth narratives. And Mark is the shortest gospel. The word immediately is used in Mark more than the others. There is an urgent need in Mark to convey the information of this Savior who has come. And it starts, we're chapter 1 today, 1 through 8 with John the Baptist. Now, what we can remember about John the Baptist, that he was, we think, probably Jesus's cousin. His mother Elizabeth and father Zechariah were from the priestly line. His father was a priest. And related, Elizabeth was related to Mary. And so six months before, Gabriel spoke to Mary and told her she would conceive the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah as he went in to give incense, chosen by lot, about once a year, maybe once in your lifetime, you are enabled to go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies that only the priest can go, offer incense. He's in there, the angel, angel comes and says, you will have a baby, you and Elizabeth. And like Abraham and Sarah, they were advanced in age. They had long given up hope of an offspring, and so just like Sarah, Zechariah didn't believe. Gabriel says, oh, you need to believe, and it's coming. And he will be an amazing servant and precursor to the Messiah. And he says, but because you didn't believe me, you will be rendered mute through this pregnancy until the child is born. Okay, so Zechariah comes out. He was in there a long time. They were able to piece together that he had this vision. And so they get to when the child is born. And they're to name the child, and they're all thinking, well, John, like his father. I'm sorry, Zechariah, like his father. Zechariah says, no, 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 he can't, he can't talk yet. He somehow scribbles on a tablet of some sort. John, his name will be John. And that's when his tongue was freed, he was able to speak again, and John the Baptist was born. Again, about six months different. And Elizabeth and Mary were pregnant at the same time. If you remember after Mary is told, she runs off to the hill country to see who? Elizabeth. 
She's pregnant. Toward the end of her pregnancy, Mary toward the beginning. And what is the response of John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb? He jumps in the presence of Mary and Jesus in her womb. So what's their relationship? Did they grow up together, Jesus and John? Did they run around terrorizing, playing games? Well, we, we don't know. They're not that far from each other, so they would have most certainly seen each other on a fairly regular basis. Did John know that Jesus was Jesus, the Messiah? Not sure when they were growing up. By the time John starts his ministry, there's a sense of that because he knows whom he's there to prepare the way for. And he knows when Jesus comes, immediately there's almost this sense of awe. Here he comes, the one I've told you about. So there's some relationship there when we don't know. Fascinating, isn't it? They come together at Thanksgiving, family reunions, and Jesus is making his turkey legs multiply, and John's coming, cut it out, cut it out, come on. We just, we just don't know. But they were family and they were in close proximity, so they probably did know each other growing up. Now, John is this crazy, again, drill sergeanty type that doesn't care what people think. That's not his role. He didn't come and hobnob with the elite of Jewish society. As a matter of fact, they derided him because he wouldn't come and socialize. The whole camel's hair garb eating locusts, honey. Anybody ever eat locusts? I have not. Liza, you sure? You weren't? No? Okay. I did eat grasshoppers once in a museum in New Orleans, and they had a whole bakery that included bugs. And the bugs I ate were grasshoppers baked into a pecan pie. Not bad, friends. I'm just telling you, grasshopper's kind of nutty, fully cooked, nice and crunchy. So if you ever need to survive and you've got grasshoppers, well, you do just think pecan pie. Of course, what wouldn't taste good wrapped in sugar and pecans, I'm not sure. But surviving out there as this outcast in the desert, why? Even the people of Jesus' time weren't dressed in camel's hair. They weren't out eating what the poorest of the poor eat. That is whatever they can catch and eat. John the Baptist serves as a bridge from Old Testament to New Testament. The last thing recorded in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, were these prophecies in chapter three and four about the Messiah who would come and Elijah who would proceed the Messiah. And then there was silence for 400 years. It is not recorded that there were prophets, not recorded that God was clear in God's interaction with Israel. And the very next thing after Malachi in Mark's account is John the Baptist. Again, to bring the whole New Testament over who would wear the kind of things that he did other than extremely poor people? Prophets of old. They didn't wear the snappiest threads in their day. That wasn't their call. They weren't trying to win anybody over. Their job was to proclaim God 
and repentance and teach how to worship and be God's people. And so John the Baptist serves again as that bridge to the prophets of old, that connection with Elijah as the one who would come. And later Jesus says, that is John's role, like Elijah, to prepare the way for the Messiah, quoting Isaiah. So John's role is important. And that's pretty much the role he plays here. So in the true vein of this drill, Sergeant, we are to repent. Why? Because just like that drill, Sergeant, breaks down those young kids and makes them into soldiers who now have a better chance of surviving conflict, but also doing their part to make the larger machine work. That work that we do now that John is encouraging us is that hard work to look inward. It's a repentance, a baptism for the repentance of sins. Jesus hasn't been baptized yet when we see John here. John is not baptizing into the body of Christ as we do. There's no Christ yet. We think it was taken from ritual Jewish cleansing, ritual cleansing in the mikvah or these, these pools that they had in their homes. And John adapted it to this understanding of being baptized. It wasn't into the Christian family. We're not there yet. But it is a commitment to repentance and coming back to God. This stern voice tells us it's time to come home. Repentance is that old outdated word and we don't like it because that's where the hard work lies. Our, our predisposition is just to ask God for forgiveness for those things that we've done and let that be until next week. Repentance, the whole idea of forgiveness and mercy hinges on the fact that we are working, actively working on an ongoing basis. You can't snap our fingers and be free of it, sin. But we are to engage and to say, what's keeping me from God? What's keeping me from being the disciple and child of God I've been called to be? And that's what repentance is about. It's engaging those things and seeking God's help to work through those things. And it's hard work. The other thing that John the Baptist does is to point to Christ, to point to the Messiah. It's not about John the Baptist and John knows that. Well, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming will baptize you with spirit and fire. That's spiritual baptism versus what any of us could do. John points to Christ. It's not about John. Later on, John will be beheaded because he stood up to Herod, who took his brother's wife, which was against the law of the time. And John said, no, you cannot do that. And then he's done. That's it. This is his role to play, as is our role to play. Our job as Christians and disciples is to point other people to Christ. And that's where our peace lies today. 
that we can have peace with one another, peace with God, peace with our world and community when we take the hard time to repent and come back to God. Peace is not frivolous. It is one that is hard earned. But we are called today to be those who do that hard work so then we can point to Christ. Like a floodlight on a church sign or steeple. That's what John the Baptist was. That's who we are. We point and shed light on Christ. One of the ways that we do that in our church is to select leaders that you nominate to help lead and guide this congregation. Their call is a similar one. As deacons, elders, or trustees, they are through their calling to shed light on Christ, just in the ways that they have been called to, just as all of the rest of us are. And so today we celebrate, install, and ordain these who, like John the Baptist, are coming to point to Christ through this, their service.